Hello and welcome to the Richards Report. I'm Ted Richards. A passion of mine is investing. I love chatting about it and learning about investing. We spoke about exchange-traded funds, ETFs, back in the first episode of the Richards Report, and I hope that you learnt a lot about how they can be used to diversify your investments. This episode, we're chatting with Chris Judd, the Brownlow medalist, about what investing means for him and how he goes about it. Don't assume because he is an ex-footballer that his form of investing is simply putting money into a poker machine. Couldn't be further from the truth. Chris certainly has a sophisticated approach. I hope you enjoy it. You're listening to The Richards Report, where we will speak with investment experts from around the country. We will cut through the jargon to allow you to make more insightful investment decisions for your future. This is The Richards Report. I'm here with Chris Judd. For those that don't know, Chris and I actually grew up in Sandringham together, back in the day, opposite ends of Fernhill Road. We played football together at East Sandringham, the Mighty Zebras, and we've both since retired, and we've also won a couple of Brownlows between us. Chris, welcome to the Richards Report. Teddy, very good to, uh, good to see you and good to make my debut on the report. Oh, thank you. Well, yes, we all know that you won a collection of Brownlows and that you're a premiership captain too. I remember I was actually there that day too. <laughs> Just wasn't on the podium. <laughs> but we're not here to speak about your football ability. Otherwise, I assume that I would be preaching to the converted. What we don't know, we don't know if you were good enough to play at fullback during your career, um, but that will be a discussion for another time, possibly a discussion for the ages. Quick question, did you ever play at fullback? Uh, my very first ever game of football in under nines uh, was actually at fullback, funnily enough. Driving to the ground, I, I asked my dad for a bit of advice. He said, whatever you do, just don't go fullback. Yep. And they called my name out. I was at fullback, didn't get a touch that quarter. There was a howling wind to the other end. Next quarter, they moved me to full forward. The wind was obviously still going the same way, so I didn't get a touch. Um, and eventually worked my way uh, to centre forward and then into the midfield and, and stayed there for the next... 24 years of my football career. Well, funny thing, I, I would have played that day because in the under-9s we played together. We did. Yeah. We and, did. Uh, um, maybe I was... Your dad may have been the coach that actually yeah. put me at fullback, Ted. Oh, now that co- <laughs> coach extraordinaire that started it. <laughs> That's right. You could have been uh, could have been a great fullback. Instead, you had to, um, unfortunately, be a great midfielder. That's right. Um, all right, moving on. We're here today to talk about another passion of yours, and some people may not be aware of this, but you actually take an incredibly active role in how you analyse and select your investments. Before we go down that road, let's start from the beginning. Chris, why do you take such an interest in investing when you could very well have someone look after it for you? When did this begin? What what was the catalyst? Uh, So I think for a long time, I've always had a strong desire to... um I guess not rely on other people too much. Even in my football career, I didn't have the boots to take my boots to the ground because if he forgot to bring them, I wouldn't have any boots to play in and I'd be pissed off. So I'd take my own boots, I'd take my own shorts. Um, so I think that's been a bit of a character trait to not want to rely too heavily on other people. And when I was living in Perth and playing footy at West Coast, one of the things that happened was I was trying to avoid reading too much about football uh, and if you read the West Australian or the Sunday Times over there, you were bombarded with, with stories about West Coast. So I, I started reading the Fin Review um, and that led to getting a bit more of an interest in, uh, in investing, investing in stocks in particular. Um, initially invested really badly yep. in stocks and then... Uh, that probably, makes two of us. Probably made a decision in my, in my um, I guess, about mid-20s to start doing uh, 
some more more genuine work on it and take it a bit more seriously or, or outsource it to to people who were far more qualified than me um, and decided that I wanted to, to keep uh, learning about it and and uh, and take control of my own investing strategy so so put some much more energy into into it while I was playing footy and then upon retiring uh, had about 18 months working in a, a venture capital fund which was a bit of a continuation of the type of stocks I'd been investing in albeit they were listed stocks uh, the ones I were investing in previously and um, since then I've, I've still maintained that interest in, and spend most of my days uh, analysing and investing in microcap listed equities. So that's a, a great insight for us and uh, we're going to get to all that individually and I don't want to overlook these poor stock calls that you made at the start because uh, I've made quite a few as well. Can, can you remember off the top of your head um, some of the early investments you made that uh, didn't pan out well? Yeah, so from from the start I've always had a, um, I guess a bit of a bias to some macro trends. Yep. Um, so I guess... Uh, what's that top-down investing people yeah. will label that? Um, Just for listeners that may not understand macro, so the macro is the opposite to a micro. A micro might be looking specifically at a company. A macro might be looking more uh, broader at like a, an economy, for yeah, example. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you, you prefer looking at the top. Well, that was p- the particular bias back then, yeah. not not so much now. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the, the, I mean the, the one that stands out was an internet advertising company what what, what, what could what, possibly go wrong yeah i know that? and what year are we talking oh 2000 and post post that dot-com crash That'd okay be 2003 maybe okay yeah so you're in your second or third year of football yeah over in perth yeah so, uh, advertising on publishers on the internet is yeah. a, a, a macro trend if you like yeah. um has has some tailwinds uh latched onto this company invested a you know a good chunk of money in it at the time it went f- uh, uh, went up significantly. I think it went up fourfold, and then very quickly went went. Uh, you know, within twelve months, had, had lost that and, and just about all my investment as well. So, um, that was an early lesson. I think to not not overplay the importance of a macro tailwind if the right management aren't in place um, and the right you know business plan in place. Uh, you can have all the tailwinds you like from a, a broader sense. The company's not going to amount to anything. Now, you, you touched on your, your current strategy uh, with investing, but I, I just want to uh, bring it back a bit. And uh, there are different strategies for investing. Two high-profile ways to invest is value investing, which Warren Buffett is the post avoy of. Shout out to Warren, the Oracle of Omaha, no doubt a huge fan of the Richards Report. And uh, another high-profile strategy is growth investing, which has been successful over recent years in the FANG stocks. Fang, F-A-N-G, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. Peter Lynch from Fidelity created GARP, G-A-R-P. Apologies for all these acronyms. Stands for growth at a reasonable price. Aims to probably be a hybrid between growth and value. There's also contrarians that do the opposite to what everyone else is doing. Side note, many of my former teammates, I believe, had a contrarian fashion sense. I'm not sure about you, Chris, but I, I, I noticed that. For example, a contrarian investor might be investing in um, beaten up retail stocks right now That um, as share prices in many retail stocks have been hammered. By the arrival of Amazon in Australia, a contrarian investor might be looking around for, uh, um, I guess, some retail stocks that have been beaten up. Uh, a contrarian investor probably wouldn't be investing in the FANG stocks that I mentioned earlier, whereas the growth and momentum investors probably would be uh, 
invest, investing in those stocks. Uh, they'd be all over those, like a, like a tagger on Chris at a centre bounce. You like what I just did there? I like that. Yeah, yeah, very, okay. very slick. Okay, yeah, thank you. <laughs> all right, now, this is by no means all the different ways to invest, but I just wanted to highlight some of the more higher-profile active strategies some people have used, and that's enough from me. Back to you, Chris. You are no sheep when it comes to investing. Can you please give us some insight as to how you invest invest, and what you look for? Yeah, so the types of companies I invest in would be uh, often more linked to the type of businesses that are still at a venture capital phase yep. of their, their cycle. So they're usually pre-profit. So, sorry, but, and venture capital normally means that a, a company's still on the, uh, in the growth phase. They're, they're not too established. They're not public. Yeah, so I mean, the, the characteristic of venture capital businesses is they're private, yeah. for starters. They're, yeah. they're unlisted. Um, usually, particularly in Australia, they're not profitable yet. Yeah. They've usually got, depending on what round, e.g. E Series A or Series B or Series C or a seed round. Yeah. Depending on which round you're at, they've usually got revenue and revenues forecast to grow really quickly, not that it always does. Um, and for instance, a Series... So the first round's a seed round. That's often the first time they raise money from outside investors. Um, then they want to hit some milestones before their Series A round, which they'd want to do at an increased valuation yep. to recognise the fact that the company's matured from its seed round. Yep. And that sort of keeps playing out from a Series B, Series C until they either exit that, sell the business to another business, or they might list it, et cetera, et cetera. So that's how venture capital uh Investors view a, a VC investment that they don't. I mean, Warren Buffett will be looking at um, free cash flow and return on equity. Yep. It's ridiculous to use that with these types of businesses because they're not profitable for starters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're making revenue without the profits. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, you'd say, well, why would you invest in a company like that? If if you do get it right, the rewards are are really significant. Um, the challenge with venture capital investing is it's quite binary. Yep. You either get an exit and you make a good amount of money or more often than not, those companies never make a profit and you're unable to sell them and they're a capital trap. That's, that's why I wanted to, to have this chat with you because you know, this is quite a sophisticated uh, way to invest and this investing style must take up a lot of your time to research these companies. Where do you get your ideas from? You can't just open up the paper or turn the TV to find companies like this yeah so i mean the important thing to note is i don't invest in venture capital yep. opportunities so yep. i invest in listed businesses so there's liquidity and it's not binary like those venture capital investments are usually in businesses with a market cap of less than 30 million dollars um sometimes i'll invest in a shell business uh which might have a market cap of three million dollars with a million dollars in the bank so a, a shell business is a business with uh Often nothing more than an idea and hopefully some good people on the board who are going to be able to execute that idea and turn it into a proper business yep. um, one day. Um, so that's, my, that's sort of my preference. Sometimes the business might have a market cap close to 50 million bucks, but it's, it's rare that I invest in a business larger than that. And I'll invest in the business on the proviso that there's some clear milestones coming up that could cause that business to be re-rated. So I've got brokers, um, probably 10 or 11 brokers, around Australia, yep. um, in Melbourne, Sydney and, and Perth that'll yep. send different ideas for deal flow, usually when a company is raising capital, either through a, a capital raising or an IPO, yep. but sometimes just on, you know, for on-market opportunities. Um, and I'll peruse them and, and 
make a decision from there. Now, before we go on any further, I'd just like to mention that this podcast is brought to you by Six Park. Six Park, the low-cost provider of the highest quality automated investment management service. Compare the fees and the experience of the Six Park team with any other automated investment advisor. Check us out at sixpark.com.au. It's it's fascinating stuff. Uh, stuff that you said you worked at a venture capital fund for just over a year, um, from memory. Did this help? Did this help mould your investment strategy? No. So this is how I was already investing. Oh, yep. Um, I think having that year in in the VC fund made it feel like a more legitimate way of investing. Yeah. Before then, people, particularly that invest in listed companies, just think if you if you're um. Investing in these sorts of companies, you're just punting and you don't really know what you're doing. But the language around VC investing is uh, these things are treated in a more sophisticated manner, even though they're essentially the same sorts of things. So that gave me a bit more confidence um, that it was a legitimate way of investing and um, you know, I guess probably gave me a bit more confidence in what I was doing was, was at a reasonable level. So, Okay. Obviously, there's not just one way of investing, and you've spoken about um, your style. I mentioned uh, we also mentioned Warren Buffett before, and he has spoken about cigar butt investing, looking for the cigar butts on the ground that have one puff left in them. Uh, great investing metaphor, but I don't recommend you take his advice literally. Also, very hard to find businesses like that these days. Do you consider yourself a bit like this, looking for the smaller, beaten up cigar butts that have a puff, uh, puff left? Or two in them, or is this uh, not really? I mean, a bit I think a those horrible analogy. No, I think those businesses Warren was often talking about were businesses that were below net tangible assets or below cash backing. Yes. Um, so very hard to find business on the ASX that's uh, valued less than the cash in its bank. Yeah. Um, if there is, there's usually a reason for it, or the opportunity is usually not there for very long. Yeah. Um, so no, not in a sense. I think where where that that story sort of relates to the companies I invest in is that. The companies I invest in are really under-researched by... Because they're so small? Because they're so small. So most funds can't invest in companies of this size. Um, there's not enough liquidity for them. They couldn't get enough in there to make a meaningful impact on their on their fund. Um, as a result, a lot of broking houses don't research companies of that size because they can't get, can't get significant um, you know, fees from doing so. So... Um, that means by doing your own research, there's an opportunity there to create some value, particularly if you're an individual investor and, and um, you're relatively small. It also means that the person who's on the other side of the transaction isn't necessarily a full-time investor or yep. isn't significantly more sophisticated than you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, and, it, and you've usually got one, one business unit that you've got to try and understand. You usually don't have foreign exchange implications. You don't have... Um, you know, for me to try and analyse ANZ Bank, I, I just couldn't do it. And it's I'd a be complicated up, beast. Yeah, yeah, there's there's foreign exchange implications. There's um, disruption coming potentially from Amazon or different businesses that are going to change the way payments are made. Um, it just it, it just probably wouldn't a thousand, be a thousand analysts covering it too. That's the other thing, and and I'm competing with fund managers and algorithms that are going to trade much more efficiently than me. So, um, can you take us through your process? Do you, do you start with the idea generation? So I guess um, there's still sort of macro themes that I'm on the lookout for and most of the businesses I end up investing in sit under one of those macro themes. So um, things like the electrification of vehicles, 
Um, I think it's a really big macro theme. Yep. Um, you know, the challenges the globe's facing with, with climate change, which is sort of linked to electrification of vehicles, but not entirely. Electric vehicles are more about acute health issues that places like China and, and France and Europe are, are suffering with, e.g. the air pollution in those cities isn't of a high enough quality for humans to be able to prosper, um, as opposed to tackling climate change, so it's a little bit separate. Um, and the ageing population and healthcare uh, and artificial intelligence. So the, the, at a broad macro theme, they're sort of the four... Um, within, within your circle of competence that you kind of understand and happy to invest through? At some level. Yeah, yeah at some level. So that's, that's just a, a broad thing. I, I would still be happy to invest in something outside of that if it, it looked um, attractive. But I'd, be, I'd have a bias towards companies that sat in one of those categories but then that's really just the initial screen. The most important thing for me is um, working out how competent management are and really making a call on the people involved in the business. Um, so that's the main thing. And then... So yeah, so we'll start with the macro theme. You yep. then move on, move on to management. Yep. And, uh, management and board. Management and board. And that, um, that's, that can be quite subjective because you know, people can lie to your face. You look at a balance sheet and the numbers normally are uh, pretty easy to read but um, when you're meeting with management what what questions do you like to ask well the most important thing is their their history of success and it's very rare that the management I'd be meeting with this is their first time at the rodeo Um, if it was I'd have you know concerns about investing a significant amount of money with them Um, see their track record get some considering they've usually been on listed businesses before it's quite it's quite transparent to see who've who've had success with those listed businesses and, and who hasn't. If they've been in a private business, you may have to do a little bit more digging. Um, but again, you know, it, it's not... Melbourne, even Australia, is a pretty small place. It's not too hard to be able to find someone who knows that person who can um, vouch for how they run their business. But the vast majority of time, it's through their listed experience in the past that you can quite easily, quite easily uh, explore. So we've got the macro theme the quality of the business and the business model you've yep. met with management it's been tick 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 um then what makes you make a call on uh, whether you will invest or not is that is that it or you'll, you'll do a little bit of evaluation or then it's really about getting a clear um a clear understanding of what potential milestones are coming up in the next six to 12 months okay and you're trying to make a decision on if management are going to be able to execute on those plans yep um and usually when companies are capital raising um, or before an IPO, there's a pretty clear pathway for what they're trying to achieve in the next 12 to 18 months. Could you give me an example of what a milestone could be for a, uh, just off the top of my head, a, a company that's producing uh, electric cars? Um, well, not so much, say, electric cars, but for a mining company, yeah, it m- may be getting the approvals in place. It may be signing an off-take agreement with someone to buy the minerals that they hope to get out of the ground. Maybe completing a bankable feasibility study um yeah these are some of the things that cause small explorers to re-rate as people start to think they may one day become producers yes getting a re-rating of that stock which will then subsequently change the valuation of the company yeah well then you want to compare it to other stocks uh, with peers with peers so um and then you, you want to compare it with the valuation with other other peers and then make a Decision on if they hit those milestones, what that'll re-rate to. And that's generally how the valuation's done. Um, so it's not a PE sort of model or a, a value model. It's 
a bit more subjective. Yeah. Um, more and, and more the, art than science. A little bit. And, and the key being that most of the stocks I invest in, um, I sort of make the assumption that in five years' time, they'll be worth zero. Okay. So if you're assuming that, yep. you've got to be a seller yep. once those milestones are hit, unless you've got a clear opinion yeah. on um, what the new milestones will be. And, and if maybe they'll be one of the very, very rare companies this size that end up becoming a, an actual proper profit-making business. Well, that, that's a, a interesting outlook. Um, so say you do get it all right, all the steps so far, and the stock price has started to increase. How do you determine when you sell? Another tough decision. Yeah, I think selling's a lot harder than buying. Um, and I mean, there's no one clear answer for it. I, I really just think what I'll generally do is I've got a price when I enter the investment that I'll sell at. But that price will change if the circumstances change. So I think if you do uh, luck onto a winner in this type of investing, I I feel like the key is to actually make it a a really big winner. So it's rare you're going to have a company that becomes a real company. If you do have a company that's going to become a real company, you really want to try and ride it through. But with the assumption most of them won't end up being that. So yeah, I I think it's... Um, constantly challenging your own views on, on what it's worth, having probably a bias to sell. And if you really, if you start being, um, you know, feeling like it's a 50-50 on where it's going to go from here, there's nothing wrong with at least taking your initial investment off the table and um, reducing your risk that way. Unfortunately, we're going to end it there for this episode of The Richards Report. This is just part one of a two-part series I'm doing with Chris. This episode, we've discussed the sophisticated strategy and process that Chris goes through to look at potential investments. And in part two, we'll further explore this theme, look at some examples of companies that he has invested in, what he reads, what podcasts he likes, apart from mine, mentors, apart from me, and other bits of insight. So far, it's been a great insight by Chris to share with us all about the the time that he dedicates towards his investments. It's not a strategy that may work for many people, especially if you're time poor. But it's still fascinating to learn how some people go about it. It's also a great reminder for us all that it doesn't matter who you are, an ex-Brownlow medalist or not, that taking control of your finances and knowing where your money is going is a great skill set in life to have. And this doesn't just have to be about taking control of your investments. It's equally, if not more so important, to take control of your expenses too. Follow The Richards Report on Twitter at Richards underscore report for updates or subscribe on iTunes to have it automatically uploaded into your podcast feed. Before we go, I've got a favour to ask. As I've only just started out, I would appreciate a bit of your help. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please go to iTunes and leave me some feedback. I'd really appreciate it. Tell your mum, tell your friends, tell everyone. I'm Ted Richards. He is Chris Judd. This has been part one, part two of the interview coming out soon. You've been listening to The Richards Report, and here come the violins. Mm-hmm.